Welcome back to this week's episode. We have a lot to talk about because you're probably wondering at this point, why is Gwyneth Paltrow going to trial? Is it a goopy mess or is it something else? Well, it's something else. And we're going to talk about that something else in just a moment. But first, I need to remind you that Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating well with easy to follow recipes that support your healthy lifestyle and taste good too. All delivered right to your door. Get 60% off plus free shipping at greenchef.com slash emilybaker60. Let's get in to today's episode. Welcome to The Emily Show. I'm Emily D. Baker, the internet's go-to legal analyst and big fan of the cursey words. I've been a licensed attorney for over 17 years. I'm a former prosecutor, and I break down the legal side of pop culture and entertainment stories we can't stop talking about. We should just get into it. Let's go. This Gwyneth Paltrow ski slope trial is kicking off on Tuesday, March 21st, after I record this, but before this goes live. So I will be keeping you up to date. I am not streaming this live yet, but there might be parts of this trial that could be real interesting. So you're going to need to let me know as we go through this episode if you want me to do some live trial coverage of this, because it is going to be available for that. We have two totally different stories of what happened on this ski slope back in 2016. Yeah, it's 2023. (laughs) There are times when I'm like, civil trials can take a long time. Today is one of the days where I'm like, so remember how I always say civil trials can take a long time. So today I'm going to break down the he said, she said of it all. What the plaintiff is saying, what Gwyneth Paltrow is saying, what the motions in Lemonade tell us about this trial that's about to kick off, and what's at stake here, and what the jury needs to decide, and what the judge can decide, depending on liability. That's how we're breaking all this down today, because I think this might be very interesting. We know there's going to be a lot of depositions played, medical experts coming into play, and we learned some things about Goop that I didn't know. Maybe y'all know. I'm not paying close attention. Sorry, I'm not. I know. We're like, we're talking about Gwyneth Paltrow and not her diet. It was so interesting last week when I started seeing the internet talking about her, but not talking about this trial. It was like, oh, interesting. Is it diversion from this trial? Are people interested in this trial? I'm interested because it's rare, really, that we get to see a ski slope collision play out in court. And then you have a celebrity as one of the people. And the motions in Lemonade tell us a whole lot. I've not seen them covered anywhere else. These are court documents obtained by me that I have seen no one cover. So, of course, we're going to take a deeper dive than anybody else is going to. That's what we do here. So I'm going to give you an overview. And then we're going to get into the what he says and what she says of it all. The plaintiff in this case is Terry Sanderson. Terry Sanderson alleges that on February 26, 2016, except he doesn't put the date anywhere in his complaint, and I had to go to the answer of Gwyneth Paltrow to find the date, which I was like, why don't you have the date in here? Oh, because it was filed in 2019. So why is the date not in there? He says that Paltrow skied out of control and hit him while he was downhill, uh, knocking him down, knocking him out, 
causing brain injury, four broken ribs, and other serious injuries. The Paltrow got up, skied away, and left him stunned in the snow. Gwyneth Paltrow is alleging that she was skiing um, downhill, and the plaintiff, quote, took her out from behind. That's in her complaint. We're going to go look at it together. That she did not see or hear him approach, that he collided with her. She was angry with him. He apologized to her and told the ski instructor she was with that he had not seen Paltrow. The ski instructor made an incident report and Paltrow was told that he was fine, but she was annoyed because she was sore and had to stop skiing for the day. Both parties at this point are suing for negligence. We'll talk about the counts that were dismissed a little bit and then into the motions in Lemonade. So let's just go to the he said, she said of it all. When this was filed back in 2019, this doctor had a press conference about the lawsuit. I've seen it mentioned in numerous court filings, and the courts reviewed a transcript of it about whether the press conference can come up in trial. Spoiler alert. Yes, the press conference can come up in trial. So a press conference was held where statements were made about it. I am going to uh, ksl.com for this reporting about the doctor's statements in the press conference. So we get a little taste of what he had to say after the lawsuit was filed. The headline is Dr. Sue's actress Gwyneth Paltrow over collision at Utah Ski Resort. Those of you that are skiers are like, Emily, which one? Deer Valley. It's at Deer Valley. <laughs> Don't worry. We'll get to which run it is later. It says a retired doctor has filed a lawsuit against prominent Hollywood actress claiming she severely injured him in a hit-and-run ski crash at Deer Valley. Terry Sanderson, 72, announced the lawsuit Tuesday against Gwyneth Paltrow and the ski instructor that's been dropped. Sanderson is seeking at least $3.1 million from the actress that has, that has been modified substantially at this point. Sanderson said, I've skied for over 30 years. I've never knocked anybody down and hurt them. I've never been knocked down or got hurt. I think this is kind of a unique situation, and especially when it was unkind to leave me there, he said. On February 26, 2016, Sanderson said he was on a green run called Bandana when an out-of-control skier hit him from behind, knocking him down hard, knocking him out, and causing a brain injury and four broken ribs just before he was hit. This is not the complaint that I've seen yet. Sanderson said he heard a scream as if the woman about to hit him wasn't paying attention and at the last minute realized a collision was unavoidable. What is that sound? Wait, is it this? Is this the sound? Is this the sound? Is that what it sounds like? when someone is screaming as if they're not paying attention. What is a scream that says, I'm not paying attention? I don't know what that is. He said, I heard this hysterical scream like you never hear on a ski run, never have heard it in my life, just absolutely like, this is his quote to the newspaper, just absolutely like King Kong come out of the jungle or something. It was just instantaneous. I got hit in my back, he said. He said he was wearing a helmet and he fell face first into the snow with Paltrow on his back. 
When they hit the ground, she rolled off him. He believes he was knocked out for five to 10 minutes. Please keep that in mind. Please keep that in mind as we get to his complaint, because I have some questions. He said he believes he was knocked out for five to 10 minutes. Of course, perception of time can be wrong, especially with brain injury, especially with being knocked unconscious. But this is going to come up in trial when vetting who is telling the truth in this story. He said, I remember feeling sore. My ribs were really sore and my brain felt like it had been injected with Novocaine. I didn't know how else to describe it. It was just numb. Nothing was making sense. He said it took him a moment to remember his name, but he couldn't remember where he was. I know I'm skiing, but I have no idea where I'm skiing, he's quoted as saying. And that's when the ski guy that was there that I really thought was there to help, he left. And I remember having a sinking feeling in my stomach. So that's what he said about the collision. He then said that he tried reaching out to Paltrow's people over the years, hoping for a settlement. But he said her attorney has offered him nothing. Now the retired optometrist who moved from Utah to Soda Springs, Idaho, said he is suing to be vindicated as much as he is for personal injury. Quote, there was a point in this whole thing many times. I thought that an apology would be sufficient. But when I started getting any senses about me, I started feeling more strongly about the fact this was wrong. I'm a proud person and I don't like being told I'm not telling the truth and that she now is telling my truth. She knows, she knows what happened. He said it was offensive that Paltrow is not telling the truth. When asked if he would have still filed the lawsuit and held a press conference if the person he collided with wasn't a celebrity, he said yes. Quote, I think we would be having a press conference for any major ski collision where someone suffers a brain injury and has four broken ribs and the at-fault skier skis away and the at-fault participating ski instructor skis away without rendering aid. This is a standard kind of ski collision case. He also said that skiers are held by the code. Stick to the code, not more of a guidelines, more of a code, not to ski recklessly or out of control. Quote, it's very, very important rule for skiers, and it even applies to celebrities, believe it or not. And it even applied to Gwyneth Paltrow. So he is saying that Gwyneth Paltrow did not stick to the code, and he's quoted as saying Gwyneth Paltrow knew it was wrong to ski out of control too fast for her ability. Taking a dig at her skiing skills, I see. It goes on to say, but she did it anyway. So that is what he told the media after and shortly after this lawsuit was filed. Let's take a look at exactly what's alleged in his complaint after a quick break. A huge thank you to our sponsor, Thrive Cosmetics. Tonight, I am popping over onto Court TV and I needed to refresh my makeup from stream and I reached immediately for the eye brightener. They are so easy to use. They come in a great range of colors and it makes makeup simple while making me look way more awake than I really actually am. I love that it's easy and I love that it's certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free and it also doesn't have parabens and sulfates and all the things you don't want in your makeup without compromising their performance. They also don't compromise on their pledge to give back. There's a reason they are called Thrive Cosmetics. They have over three 
100 giving partners that they give back to to build stronger communities with every single purchase. So if you are ready to try Thrive for yourself and support The Emily Show, you have to try Thrive Cosmetics to see it for yourself. Right now, you can get 15% off your first order when you go to thrivecosmetics.com slash lawnard. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash lawnard for 15% off your first order. Let's get back to breaking this case down. I am pulling up the first amended complaint because it is the most recent controlling document in this case from Terry Sanderson versus Gwyneth Paltrow, Eric Christensen, Deer Valley Resort, uh, and Doe's. Note, the other defendants at this point have been yeeted from this case, so it is just going forward between Terry Sanderson and Gwyneth Paltrow. She has counterclaimed, and we're going to go through her counterclaim in a minute. The brief factual summary of the complaint says this case involves a hit-and-run ski crash at Deer Valley, Utah, where defendant Gwyneth Paltrow skied out of control and hit the back of Terry Sanderson, another skier who was downhill, knocking him down hard, knocking him out, and causing brain injury, four broken ribs, and other serious injuries. Paltrow got up, turned and skied away, leaving Sanderson stunned, lying in the snow, seriously injured. If this man is knocked unconscious, how does he know what Paltrow did next? Who saw that? And how does he know it's Gwyneth Paltrow? People in ski goggles and a helmet and ski gear are not, I don't know, readily identifiable. And I imagine that Gwyneth Paltrow doesn't ski around with her name on her jacket. So if she did not stop and interact with him, how does he know who it was? I have this first sentence or three leaves me with a whole lot of questions. How do you know any of this if you are knocked out? And he told the media, knocked out for five to 10 minutes. Wouldn't the person be gone? Like if they were going to hit you and leave, wouldn't they just be gone? I would think. I have questions. I imagine it didn't go down exactly like that for where he was out for five to 10 minutes. It goes on to allege that a Deer Valley ski instructor who had been training Miss Paltrow, but who did not see the crash. How do you know? How do you know what someone else saw? It then says skied over, saw the injured Sanderson and skied off, falsely accusing Sanderson of having caused the crash. He also failed to send help as he was obligated to do and later filed a false report to protect his client, Miss Paltrow. Neither Miss Paltrow nor Deer Valley Lodge personnel notified emergency responders about the injured Dr. Sanderson. They left him at the scene with serious brain injuries caused by Ms. Paltrow. No one from Paltrow's group, including at least two Deer Valley employed instructors, bothered to call the ski patrol to assist the severely injured Dr. Sanderson. Later, Deer Valley ski instructor Christensen filled out and signed an incident report, falsely stating that Paltrow did not cause the crash, even though Mr. Christensen did not see the crash. How do you know? These negligent actions by defendants, including Gwyneth Paltrow and Deer Valley, caused additional emotional distress. It then gets into jurisdiction and venue, which they are starting trial, so they are in the right jurisdiction and venue, or at least everyone is acquiesced. They go through the parties, the general allegations that Paltrow was skiing out of control, Paltrow was skiing too fast for her ability on a beginner run, 
Paltrow was distracted. How do you know this? Paltrow was skiing in a group of skiers, including family and friends and Deer Valley employees. They were skiing to the bottom of the hill to meet others for lunch. How do you know what they were going to do? Deer Valley employees, including defendant Christensen and others, were instructing and guiding Gwyneth Paltrow and her family and friends in a group while they skied down the slope. Paltrow, the employees, and others, especially downhill skiers such as Sanderson. It goes on to say Paltrow, Deer Valley, and its employees, including without limitations Christensen and others, owed a duty to other skiers, especially downhill skiers such as Sanderson, to ski safely in control while maintaining a lookout for other skiers. These duties were especially important as the party came to the part of the hill where the bandana trail was located. All defendants owed Dr. Sanderson a duty to notify ski patrol or other emergency responders about the crash and left Sanderson on the slope regardless of the cause. Paltrow knew it was wrong to ski out of control. Paltrow knew the downhill skier almost always has the right of way and Sanderson was downhill from Paltrow. This is going to be a key factor of this case who the downhill skier was because the downhill skier has the right of way and the skier uphill has to yield. Paltrow knew it was wrong. It goes on to allege to slam into Dr. Sanderson's back, knocking him down, landing on top of him, knocking him out, and then leaving the skein of the ski crash she caused, but she did it anyway. It alleges that Christensen, a Deer Valley ski instructor, knew it was wrong to scream at Dr. Sanderson after he was knocked down and injured by Gwyneth Paltrow, but he did it anyway. It's a very interesting complaint. Christensen and other Deer Valley employees who witnessed some or all of the ski crash. Look, earlier it says Christensen didn't witness the crash at all. Which was it? Did they witness the crash or did they not witness the crash? Or did they witness the aftermath of the crash? In the complaint, it contradicts itself. But it says that Christensen and other Deer Valley employees who witnessed some or all of the crash, knew it was wrong to ski away from Sanderson after he was hit and injured by Paltrow and not call ski patrol. You need, if there's a crash, you call ski patrol. It goes on to talk about the other defendants and saying that as approximate cause of the defendant's negligence, plaintiffs suffered physically, physical and mental injuries, including permanent traumatic brain injury, four broken ribs, pain, suffering, loss of enjoyment of life, emotional distress and disfigurement, Plaintiff will continue to suffer injuries and damages in the future. It then says first cause of action, negligence as to Gwyneth Paltrow. Gwyneth Paltrow had a duty to ski safely, but negligently breached that duty by skiing unsafely. It then goes on with a second cause of action that's since been dismissed for negligent infliction of emotional distress. And with that, we are going to go take a look at Gwyneth Paltrow's. As I said, there have been, there have been years of litigation since this was filed in 2019. There have been motions to dismiss, motions for summary judgment. The attorney, the parties are now fighting over liability and attorney's fees. Attorney's fees are determined by the court at the end of the day. So the jury's only going to be deciding liability. Who crashed into who on this ski slope? This is literally a he said, she said between this person, Gwyneth Paltrow, and whatever ski instructors were around that might have seen this, and then determination of causing injury and how much of that injury will be proven. We will see if they are seeking damages as for some of that, but the judge will determine attorney's fees, not a jury. So the jury is going to be deciding the negligence. Who, who, whom struck whom on the slope in Deer Valley? Let's take a look at Gwyneth Paltrow's 
answer and counterclaim. This was filed on February 20th, 2019, and is a denial in way of the answer while maintaining the affirmative defenses and then a counterclaim. So let's take a look real quick at both aspects of that. The introduction says three years after a ski collision, plaintiff threw a press conference to assert that Gwyneth Paltrow had struck him on a ski slope, causing him permanent brain damages. He asserted that she simply skied off, leaving him unconscious, a hit and run. He demanded Ms. Paltrow pay him millions. If she did not pay, she would face negative publicity resulting from his allegations. Plaintiff admits he does not remember what happened. Well, that's not what the complaint says exactly. Miss Paltrow remembers what happened very clearly. It goes on to say she was enjoying skiing with her family on vacation in Utah when plaintiff, who was uphill from Miss Paltrow, plowed into her back. She sustained a full body blow. Miss Paltrow was angry with plaintiff and said so. Plaintiff apologized. She was shaken and upset and quit skiing for the day, even though it was still morning. A Deer Valley employee was present at the scene. The Deer Valley employee asked plaintiff, whose friend had now caught up to plaintiff, whether plaintiff was okay. Plaintiff said he was. The Deer Valley employee prepared a report that determined plaintiff had taken Paltrow out from behind and that plaintiff was the uphill skier, thus responsible for the collision. Plaintiff, age 69, had told his doctor about one year earlier that he was blind in his right eye and that his vision in his left eye was decreasing. Just three weeks before the incident, plaintiff told his doctor that plaintiff had, quote, gotten old all of a sudden. Well, that I, I empathize. It sucks when you start feeling like nothing is working. I'm definitely not 69 years old, but I have had many of those moments um, somewhere after 30 years. Like, why does it hurt after I sleep? It goes on to say, other than his vision problems, he had 15 other chronic medical issues. This is going to come up in trial. It's in the motions in limine especially with regard to this defendant's vision. After the accident, plaintiff's doctor conducted neuropsychological testing that did not demonstrate any deficits in his cognitive functioning. Plaintiff's friend who was skiing with plaintiffs said that in his interactions with plaintiff since the collision, plaintiff acted the same mentally as before the collision. The, the two tellings of this ski collision could not be more different. You either have somebody who is grievously injured or someone who is Paltrow, who is sore and takes the rest of the day off after he um, took her out from behind. The way I misread that, like the first three times I read it, I was like, wait, no, wait, no, that's not what it says. Defendant Paltrow's answer to the amended complaint. And then it goes on to give the denials. But the first denial is a response to plaintiff's brief factual summary. The allegations made in the brief factual summary on plaintiff's amended complaint are unnumbered, making it difficult to respond to each asserted fact. <laughs> the shade. Therefore, Ms. Paltrow denies the whole section and offers the following brief factual summary instead. Great! The lawyer sass is already delightful. I'm delighted. On February 26, 2016, Gwyneth Paltrow went skiing with her family at Deer Valley Resort in Park City, Utah. At about 11.55 a.m., according to an incident report created that day, 
Miss Paltrow began making short turns on the right side of Bandana, one of the resort's easier runs, when a male skier hit her from behind. According to the written report, plaintiff took her out from behind, hereafter referred to as the collision. She did not hear or see the man approach. After the collision, plaintiff stood up. Miss Paltrow told plaintiff to be more careful since he had run into her. He apologized and explained to defendant Eric Christensen that he did not see Miss Paltrow. As Mr. Christensen reported in an incident report later that day, plaintiff told him, quote, that she appeared right in front of him, thus admitting he was the uphill skier. His report also indicated that she never saw plaintiff because he came in from behind. After the collision, Craig Rahman, a member of plaintiff's skiing group, arrived on the scene. By his own admission, he had been at least 40 feet away from the scene on a pretty crowded, busy hill. Mr. Christensen told Paltrow and the family's other ski instructor to stay with Paltrow's children, who were further down the hill. Christensen continued to speak with plaintiff, a ski patroller and mountain host representative, passed and inquired whether everyone was all right. Plaintiff and Rahman each assured them that they were fine. Paltrow denies that she caused the collision, denies she injured or harmed plaintiff. It goes on to jurisdiction and venue and then to the parties and then into general denials uh, regarding whether or not she was there per whether or not she was involved in the way they say they were. So she admits that she was skiing on that day, but denies knowledge of plaintiff's skiing ability. Admits that she was skiing, but denies that she was above and behind plaintiff on the slope, and so on and so forth. It then goes on to deny the first cause of action and assert that plaintiff was the downhill skier. It goes into the second cause of action and then starts listing the defenses that are being maintained. We will see what defenses they put on at trial. And then we get into the counterclaim. Defendant Gwyneth Paltrow counterclaims against plaintiff for negligently causing the skiing collision he blames on her. She hereby incorporates her statements above as if fully restated here. Paltrow seeks to recover damages from plaintiff slash counterclaim defendant Terry Sanderson arising from the collision he blames on her. Plaintiff caused the collision, injuring Ms. Paltrow. Because her injuries were relatively minor, she seeks only symbolic damages in the amount of $1, plus her costs and attorney's fees to defend this meritless claim, which at this point might be very substantial. Resolution of this counterclaim will demonstrate that plaintiff ran into Ms. Paltrow and nevertheless blamed her in an attempt to exploit her celebrity and wealth. Any recovery obtained by Paltrow will be donated to a charitable organization. And then it goes into jurisdiction and venue, the parties, the general allegations. The general allegations are slightly different than above in that they add that Paltrow was wearing a helmet and goggles and did not hear him, that after the collision, plaintiff did in fact stand up. And the rest of the statement of facts is the same as we've read above. It goes ahead with one cause of action for negligence, saying that Terry Sanderson had a duty to ski with reasonable prudence as required under Utah law. Mr. Sanderson negligently breached that duty when he struck Paltrow, who was ahead of him on the mountain, physically and violently knocking her to the ground. Plaintiff, age 69, told his doctor about one year earlier that he was blind in his right eye and had decreasing vision in his left. He had 15 other chronic health problems. At a minimum, his vision problems impacted his inability to ski safely. I think it impacted his ability to ski safely, but 
It says inability. I thought I read it wrong. It goes on to say, as a direct and proximate cause of his breach of the duty of care, Paltrow suffered damages. And then the demand for jury. So as this is gearing up for trial, let's take a look at what those motions in lemonade have to say. We're going to make some lemonade with these motions. As the Gwyneth Paltrow ski collision trial gets underway, I will be doing some live coverage because the law nerds requested it. The best way to stay up to date with my trial schedule is at lawnerdalert.com. I can keep you in the loop. It's a free email list, and you will know when I'm going live all the way through this trial and the next one. So I will see you at lawnerdalert.com. Go sign up over there today to make sure you don't miss my next stream. All right, let's get back to breaking all of this down. This is an order from the court from March 8th, 2023. This matter came before the court for two hearings, the first on February 28th, followed by a second hearing on March 1st. The hearings pertain to a number of pending motions in limine. Yes, we call the motions in limine if you are new here. Why? Because limine sounds a lot like lemonade. And this is the attorney's kind of <laughs> going to make lemonade, lemonade out of lemons, depending on the rulings they get in these motions in limine. We will see a lot of the court saying, I can't rule on that yet because it depends on how the evidence comes in. I know some were critical of Judge Newman for deferring some of the motions in limine, but some things, it just depends so much on the way that evidence comes up. How is it raised? What is the context? What other evidence has come in? What is the question being asked? A lot of those decisions need to be made as the case progresses, but there are quite a few rulings here What's more important and interesting to me is what exactly are the attorneys asking for? What are they trying to get in or keep out in front of this jury before trial? Because we start to get a better sense of what some of the evidence may be in a case before it goes to trial. We're going to go through the plaintiff, Terry Sanderson's motions in limine first, then Gwyneth Paltrow's. So number one is to exclude any reference to or insinuations based on irrelevant evidence. This is just under the evidence code. <laughs> but what's really funny is the court's ruling on this is denied. Look, if it's relevant, it's not coming in, right? So let's take a look at the court's reasoning here. The plaintiff's motion seeks to preclude evidence of the plaintiff's business dealings, unlawful acts, unfounded alleged sexual harassment, or unsavory behavior. So that's what the plaintiff is trying to keep out. Any evidence of the plaintiff's business, unlawful acts, unfounded, alleged sexual harassment, or unsavory behavior. What is coming up in this trial? This is a ski slope collision. The court has ruled that as a threshold matter, the plaintiff's motion lacks specificity regarding the alleged, quote, prior bad acts, which the plaintiff is seeking to exclude. Thus, the court cannot make an admissibility determination at this time. However, the oral arguments surrounding this motion raised peripheral issues which warrant further discussion. Specifically, the defense raised various lines of argument regarding character, motive, bias, and credibility, which the court addresses herein. The court then cites State versus Garcia about prior evidence of bad acts and when it is admissible. The court says defense counsel 
suggests that plaintiff's prior actions, behaviors may indeed be relevant if not for conformity evidence, meaning showing conformity there with bad character or prior bad acts. Then for comparative purposes, counsel's argument appears to be that certain of plaintiff's actions demonstrate character traits or behaviors. They argue that such traits or behaviors can be compared pre and post collision to test the plaintiff's theory that his personality, function, and cognition have changed since the collision and his alleged injury because his, his cognitive functioning is at issue in this case. So the defense is arguing, no, some of these things will show that he has or has not changed and we can inquire. The court then says, having considered the arguments on this point, the court first rules that such evidence is subject to the limitations of rules 404 and 402. The necessity and relevance of such evidence will also depend on the defense establishing a valid medical connection between the offered evidence and expert testimony regarding, for instance, the pertinent symptoms or diagnoses of the plaintiff's alleged injury. Without expert testimony pointing out such a connection, evidence of instances of behavior or character traits as alluded to by the defense, can be construed as impermissible. The defense also raises the prospect of examining plaintiff's motive and credibility. As Garcia observed, evidence of motive may be admissible under 404b2. We know so much about motive, we've learned all about motive because Murdoch. However, the court's research indicates that such evidence is largely confined to criminal cases. Ding, ding to explain why a defendant committed a crime. There are instances where the elements of a civil claim implicate motive. However, the defense has not cited the court any case law indicating that a plaintiff's motive is relevant in a negligence claim. I think where you'll get the defense going is they're motivated by money, right? If they have a press conference where they're making a big deal out of it, they can probably argue what is this case really motivated by. But they're looking at motive under the criminal exception, and the court's like, I don't think you're going to get there. This is a negligence claim. They say the defense suggests that motive may be relevant here because the defendant's celebrity status and financial success was a motivating factor for the plaintiff in bringing his action or seeking certain monetary damages. The court is not persuaded by this argument. There it is. A plaintiff in a negligence action is motivated to establish liability and to obtain a financial recovery for alleged negligent conduct. Such general financial motivation does not open the door to character evidence and indeed could improperly influence the jury. Finally, defense raises the issue of probing the plaintiff's credibility. On this topic, the court rules that because the admissibility of character evidence, which may be probative of truthfulness or untruthfulness, can be fraught with evidentiary issues, an examination that potentially falls under Rule 608 should first be addressed with and sanctioned by the court secured outside the presence of the jury. Look, that shit has to be brought up to the court before you just start asking about it. But as to motive by, you know, way of prior acts, that's not coming up. And if Gwyneth Paltrow's attorneys want to try to ask about prior acts um, and, and how the defendant has changed or not changed cognitively, that's going to have to be anchored very tightly in expert testimony. Motion in Lemonade 2 was a surprise to me. Quote, to exclude mention of, quote, I am famous, end quote, comment, 
the press conference, and the $3.1 million demand on grounds of relevancy. What have we here? Granted in part, denied in part. The plaintiff first seeks to exclude his text message to his daughter, saying in the subject line, quote, I am famous at what cost, end quote. It appears that the defense characterizes this statement as relevant to motive. The court's discussion about motive applies to this statement. Nevertheless, the court denies plaintiff's motion on this point because under Rule 608C, the statement may be the subject of impeachment evidence. Why is the defendant texting, I am famous at what cost? You called a press conference. Is that it? Is that, is that all? <sighs> Next, the court considers evidence of the press conference held in the offices of plaintiff's attorney, uh, Robert Sykes. On January 29th, 2019, the court has now had an opportunity to review a transcript of the press conference. The court is unwilling to issue a blanket ruling, which excludes the entirety of the press conference. The opposition to this motion appears to be largely focused on statements made during the press conference, which may be indicative of a bad faith related to an award of attorney's fees. Since this will be an inquiry for the court rather than the jury, this is not a valid basis for introducing statements made during the press conference. However, the defense has identified certain aspects of the press conference which relate to the circumstances of the collision and damages which would be sought. These portions of the press conference may be relevant. Finally, the plaintiff seeks to preclude evidence that he initially sought $3.1 million. The court grants this aspect of the motion. The figure was identified in a withdrawn pleading from an early stage of litigation the court rules that it's not relevant to the extent that it may be relevant. The relevance is substantially outweighed by the danger of unfair prejudice. There's that balancing under 404, right? It has to be relevant. Even if it is relevant, it has to be more probative than prejudicial. So if it's more prejudicial than probative, it's out. If it's more probative than prejudicial, then it's in. Confusing the issues, misleading the jury, undue delay or waste of time. So that is where the court draws the line on the amount previously sought. The defense then asked to permit the unrestricted use of the deposition of Gwyneth Paltrow in trial, and the court denies it, stating that it needs to come up naturally as it comes up. Motion eliminate four is for an order that the protective order is no longer in effect and does not govern the upcoming trial, and the court said granted in part, denied in part. The purpose of this motion is to clarify the 2019 stipulated protective order. The plaintiff indicates that he does not want objections being made during the course of the trial or the examination that are relying on a now outdated protective order. Court did not dissolve the protective order, but says that it will not limit the party's ability to introduce evidence. Motion eliminate five is to limit the defense's cross-examination to the scope of the direct examination. <laughs> That's denied for lack of specificity. Motion in limine number six is to exclude medical records that are irrelevant to the injuries alleged and discussion of such records at trial. It's reserved, which means the court will decide later. This motion deals with the plaintiff's prior medical history. The plaintiff's reply clarifies that he is not requesting a blanket exclusion of all records. He requests the exclusion of only those records that are not relevant to his injuries claimed in the ski crash. The problem is, his medical state before the crash might be relevant to whether he caused the crash. More specifically, the plaintiff argues that, quote, pre-existing prostate problems, ED, abdominal pain, insomnia, heart issues, cold and flu symptoms, and general wellness checkups 
were not injuries caused by the ski crash in 2016. Most of those conditions predated the ski collision and shed no light on other issues. The court says it does not appear that certain of the conditions identified by plaintiff in his reply are unrelated to the injuries allegedly caused by the ski condition. However, the court is not prepared to rule that this evidence is categorically irrelevant. Ultimately, there are issues best reserved for trial when the plaintiff can make a direct objection to a particular line of questioning. So the court reserves it to make sure that it can be examined because the prior medical history, some of it might come up. Motion to exclude expert testimony of Brian Brill denied. The motion correlates the plaintiff's motion to exclude defendant Paltrow's demonstrative exhibits. The court ruled on this motion at a hearing held on February 27th. To summarize, the court ruled that the animations generated by Mr. Brill may be used as demonstrative aids and exhibits to illustrate a witness's testimony. Each animation will be admissible if authenticated. The defendant has confirmed that Mr. Brill will not be testifying at the trial. So the animations have to be authenticated, but Brill will not be testifying. How are they going to authenticate them then? And I'm very interested to see what animations are going to be presented in court because now we have, do we have ski collision reconstruction? The next motion in limine was to exclude irrelevant investigation topics. If it's irrelevant, you can just object if it comes up. To exclude plaintiff's medical bills, which is denied. To Regarding delay and settlement, that's granted. Everybody agrees that you don't, I mean, settlement negotiations don't come up. The next motion in limine is regarding limiting the factual determinations of defendants' experts. It's denied. The motion pertains to the defense experts and lists them and their opinions that incorporate certain factual assumptions regarding how the collision occurred. We saw some of this with the experts in depth be heard where the experts took one party's word on how an incident went down and incorporated it into their findings. It's not that they're saying this is exactly how it's happened. They're saying this is how I was told it happened, and that informed what I've done next. The court says that they observed during the hearings nothing in Rule 702 requires an expert to be a percipient witness or to examine the plaintiff for his version of the events. The expert doesn't have to cross-examine the party that they're providing services to. They can take that at face value if that's what their job is. And if, if it helps them, then they can be cross-examined on it. Now into Paltrow's motions in Lemonade. Motion number one, wealth or poverty of parties. Granted, the court rules that evidence of a, the wealth or poverty of a party is not relevant in this action, which involves a negligence claim and counterclaim. The attorney's fee claim premised on the Utah Code is to be decided by the court and not the jury. Sequence of testifying witnesses, denied. It says each evening by 6 p.m., the parties should disclose their intended witnesses for the next day. The parties should work together so as to minimize the inconvenience to all witnesses, including parties. No reference to settlement, granted. Everybody agreed on that. Speaking objections at trial, granted. The parties are in agreement. No speaking objections. What this means, and for those of you that have watched uh, trials with me live on my YouTube channel, speaking objections are where the attorneys are saying, Your Honor, they just keep asking questions and don't let the witness finish. That is a speaking objection, as opposed to objection or objection hearsay or objection states facts, not in evidence. It depends on the particular court if you will get just the word objection or objection and then 
the grounds for the objection, which is the legal basis of the objection. But, you know, objection, improper expert testimony, things like that. But you won't get objection, Your Honor. He won't even let my witness finish. Those are improper speaking objections. And it seems all parties agree. Motion to eliminate number five, other lawsuits involving parties or their retained experts. Denied. The only prior lawsuit which may be at issue involves the regulatory compliance or other conduct of GOOP in which the defendant holds a minority interest. Presently, the court does not see the relevance of this action. The plaintiff should address the issue with the court outside the presence of the jury before delving into this topic. So plaintiff wants some prior GOOP action to come in. And I didn't realize that Gwyneth Paltrow only owned a minority stake of the business. How much that stake is, I don't know. I don't know why I didn't, I just never really thought about it, but I thought that was interesting um, that Gwyneth Paltrow does not own a majority interest in the company that she founded, which means minority interest means less than 50%. Motion eliminate number six, preventing plaintiff from producing medical literature not relied on by their experts in deposition. Were they watching Murdoch? They just don't want photocopies of some random textbook coming in. This is granted in part and reserved in part. The plaintiff appears to be in agreement, but has indicated he may need to cross-examine the plaintiff's experts with other medical literature. Number seven is no need for record custodians to authenticate plaintiff's medical records. Uh, They agree all medical records won't need to be authenticated, which means you won't need to bring somebody in from the hospital, say, yes, these are the medical records. Motion eliminate number eight, subpoena for one is a subpoena for all, which is granted. It just makes it easier to bring people in. Motion eliminate number nine, plaintiffs should not imply that billed medical bills are equal to the amount of paid medical bills. That's granted if they are admitted. Being billed doesn't mean you're paid. Preservation of collateral source rule defenses was withdrawn. Pretrial motion number 11, reptile and golden rule arguments denied. Paltrow is seeking to preclude evidence that would inflame the jury or obscure the law on negligence. She is also seeking to preclude golden rule arguments, which encourage jurors to step into the shoes of a litigant. Statements and arguments designed to invoke jurors' fears and sympathies are irrelevant and may be unfairly prejudicial. So-called, quote, reptile questions, which elicit responses which are not tethered to the issue in the case, are not relevant. It goes on and lists case law, Green versus Louder, in the Utah Supreme Court that said, quote, the use of golden rule arguments is improper only with respect to damages, but not improper when urged on the issue of ultimate liability. In that case, the court ruled that statements by defense counsel made during closing argument, which asked jurors to consider what they would have done in a situation involving a head-on collision, were not directed at the issue of damages and were therefore not impermissible. Against this legal backdrop, the court considers the plaintiff's argument that he could employ a line of questioning designed to point out that the defendant put all skiers on the hill the day of the collision at risk by failing to use care, by failing to ski in a controlled fashion, and by failing to give the downhill skiers the right-of-way. A relevance objection to this line of questioning would be sustained. This is reptile questioning and is not relevant. So the court called out The plaintiff's lawyers, because the plaintiffs argued during these motion arguments, this line of arguing, 
And the court's like, wrong. That is exactly what's not allowed. That is reptile questioning, which I have never heard of. So if you have heard this type of improper questioning referred to as reptile questioning, please let me know. I am dying to know regionally where this is referred to this way. The court said this is reptile questioning and it's not relevant. Even if it were, it would fail the balance test of 403. By its nature, such a line of questioning is designed to elicit fear and appeal to emotion. The jury's role is not to enforce a community standard of care, but to apply the law contained in the jury instructions, which is why there were objections to Rottenborn's closing during the Depp Heard trial when he was trying to talk about all victims everywhere. It's this type of improper questioning or argument in that case. So, reptile and golden rule questioning will come up. This trial might be very sassy, but the judge is like, what we're not doing here. Motion to eliminate number 12 was on rebuttal witnesses, and that was reserved. If there are the need for rebuttal witnesses, they have to go beyond and actually be a reply to the objections and the other party's case in chief. Pre-trial motions in lemonade number 13 through 15 seek to exclude evidence of Paltrow's minority interest in the business group and her business affairs, her public appearances, and exclude evidence pertaining to her wealth, status, and lifestyle. It appears plaintiff does not intend to inquire into the areas covered by these motions, and they are granted. 16 excludes reference to interactions between plaintiff and defense counsel. That's granted. I wonder what happened other than settlement discussions, but the interactions between the lawyers will not be discussed. Number 17, exclude unreliable and misleading testimony concerning fMRI. So there is an expert that it looks like is going to state that they used fMRI for diagnostic purposes. The defense argues that there are no standards for such use established across multiple facilities and vetted by multiple parties. As the party offering the evidence, the plaintiff has the burden of showing the reliability of the fMRI as a principle or method underlying the opinions. Admissible expert testimony cannot simply be ipsy-dixit. Yes, that is a proper legal term. It must be based on at least some objective, independent validation of the expert's methodology. And since you are going to ask, Ipsy Dixit is just a dogmatic or unproven statement. So it is just the assertion of someone without any authority or proof. So if somebody is just like, because I said so, Ipsy Dixit. That's what that Latin phrase is. It's because I said so. (laughs) It can't just be because I said so. I like Ipsy Dixit better, though. I really do. Things that are going to start getting worked into my everyday language. Mom, why? Ipsy Dixit! Oh, things go sideways when I record late. Okay, we're going to keep going. It then goes on to talk about scientific, technical, or other specialized knowledge must serve as the basis for expert testimony. If you all are thinking of hurling phones in an office, yes. And that is why the judge was like, but that wasn't even scientific. So it doesn't have to meet these standards because it was so unscientific that it didn't even warrant 
this this line of questioning. And you saw defense attorney Barber sitting there going, wait, but how does it come in then? So this is an argument breaking down whether or not the fMRI has been accepted by the medical community to diagnose traumatic brain injury or not. And that is something that needs to be proven. The court has reserved this, but is leaning against letting it in. And there was another deposition of the doctor scheduled for the defense to try to fix it, really. The next motion to eliminate 18 goes into reevaluations and whether or not there's additional medical records. But the court has said no. The experts' opinions are locked in place. The time for discovery is over. There's no changing it up now. The next one is strict adherence to the decorum order. That's granted. And then a motion to authenticate photos and emails from plaintiff, which is denied. The issue, the court says, is the authentication of certain evidence that the plaintiff has produced and which the defense has obtained through subpoenas. The plaintiff authenticated certain documents, but not others. So there is an authentication issue with regard to some documents and the defendant, in this case, Paltrow, if they seek to admit those that were obtained via subpoena, they are going to have to figure out the authentication or bring in the proper parties. And that is the end of the motions in Limine. So we know that Gwyneth Paltrow does not own Goop, but in fact owns a minority part of it that there was some legal stuff going on with Goop that they wanted to bring into a negligent ski action. What are they going to argue that Goop has to do with Gwyneth Paltrow running into or not this gentleman on a ski slope? The issue for the jury is who is the uphill skier and who is the downhill skier and how did these two collide? That's really what the jury is going to have to decide. And then, of course, there will be discussion as it goes to the damages and medical records and things like that, the court will decide whether or not attorney's fees and how much attorney's fees will be issued if anyone is found liable. And then the issue of punitive damages is off the table. So there's none of those punishment damages. It's really just seeking vindication and costs. Why do you think this lawsuit got to this stage? Do you think anybody was willing to settle? Or do you think they were like, no, you hit me. We're going to trial. Let's figure it out. What do you think of this case? Do you want me to cover some of the testimony? What do you want to see? Opening, closing, Gwyneth Paltrow testifying? You let me know in the comments. It's supposed to be an eight-day trial in Utah, and we will see. So with that, it is time to raise a glass. May your toilet paper be plentiful. May your Wi-Fi be strong. May your banks not collapse. May your families be well, and may the odds be ever in your favor. Thank you for being here, and thank you for being a law nerd. I'm actually kind of interested to see how this turns out now. It, I want to know more about that text message. The I'm famous text message has stuck with me, and I can't quite let it go yet. I want to know more about that. How do you interpret that? And with that, I will talk to you in the next one. You can find more Law Nerd goodness in our private Law Nerd community over at lawnerdsunite.com. And if you want to stay up to date with everything I'm covering, you can follow me on social media at the Emily D. Baker. I stream on YouTube on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and I recap those streams for those of you a little pressed for time 
over on the QuickBits podcast and QuickBits YouTube channel. Thanks for being a law nerd. <laughs>